Hi, and welcome to the Words of Encouragement podcast, a podcast of love, hope, inspiration, and encouragement using the Word of God for people from all walks of life. And of course, I'm your host, Arlena. Welcome, everyone, and thank you once again for joining me on another episode of the Words of Encouragement podcast. I do hope and pray that each and every single one of you are in the best of health, best of strength, and most importantly, in the best of spirits. Because these days, there's a lot of people out there that are not in the best of spirits. And now, that all depends on each and every one of us as far as to how we may look at life. Now, for those of us that are in Christ, we know that in everything, as the Word of God tells us, we are to give thanks and praises, be it good, bad, or indifferent. Because no matter what, God is good. No matter what. So, of course, we do know who our hope is in. And it's in none other than our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Go, Jesus. And as always, before beginning, I'd like to start by giving all honor, all praises, and all glory to Father God Almighty, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, because without them, I am nothing. We are nothing. But because of Christ Jesus and what He did on the cross, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me, including this podcast, as well as this podcast episode, as well as this podcast series. I'd also like to take some time out real quickly to say thank you to each and every single one of you who have taken the time out to tune in and listen, whether that's by hitting play or simply download. Thank you. And God bless you. Today is Thursday, December 4th. Where I am at, the temperature is currently 39 degrees. It was chilly out there today. And it's currently... In the evening. It was a beautiful sunshiny day. But yeah as the sun went down. It was freezing. So yeah it's currently 39 degrees. Um, This past week we've been having. Some pretty low temperatures. But yeah. 
Um, I think we're going up in the 60s, upper 50s, I think by the weekend or something like that. But nevertheless, you know, I give God thanks because, yeah, compared to most cities, our winters are not really that bad. So, yeah, to God be all honor and all glory. The time now is currently 9.33 p.m. And I am currently sipping on, let's see, some nourish tea with some ginger, turmeric, a slice of lemon, some lemon juice, apple cider vinegar, um, monk fruit sweetener. For some reason that doesn't sweeten. Don't taste all that great either. But yeah, that's what I have in there. I have um, also a pack of zero calorie sweetener because yeah to me the monk fruit don't do anything i can't taste anything and i have a cough drop in it and yeah so that's what's in my cup so let me have a quick sip here yes i hope that you were able to catch my last episode which of course is part of an ongoing series. I have no idea how many parts it is because it's really going to be ongoing. And the name and title of that series is The Blood of the Martyrs. And that was part one where I shared a brief history about some of the first people that were martyred for the faith. So I hope you were able to catch that episode. If not, I'll go ahead and I will leave a link in the description box. That way you can take a listen to it. So yeah. So today's episode is going to be the first part of also a new series. If you did tune into that last episode, um, I think I did mention that I was working on a series. And yeah, that I got like a ton of pages. Um, from my research, well, here it is. So yes. Now, I am not sure exactly how many parts this is going to be. I do know it's not going to be ongoing. It probably will be maybe three or four parts. I'm not sure. But either way, this is the first part of this particular series. So yeah, I have like two series running at once. Now, initially when the idea came to me, I thought, you know, truthfully, I thought that I could cover everything in one episode. Listen, that's the way I wanted to do it. I'm just going to be honest. But as I started doing my research and putting things together, the Holy Spirit had something totally different to say. And it definitely wasn't in line with what I had planned. Because I just wanted to do it in one and knock it out and get rid of it. And move on to the next thing. But unfortunately, yeah, he had other plans. So instead of it being one episode, we do have a series. And by time I had gathered so much information, indeed, um, one episode could have never done justice to the information 
that I truly wanted to share here. So, yeah. So, you know, in order for me to do this effectively, you know, it had to be made into a series. I probably, like I said before, it probably will be a three, maybe a four part series. We'll see. Actually, I think it's going to be, it might be a four part series. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. So the name and title of today's episode is Sins of the Father, Part 1, The Curse of the Sword, The Children of King David. And this is episode number 139. So sit back, relax, grab yourself your favorite hot, ice cold beverage and join me back here in a few minutes and we'll get started so i'll see you back in a few are you looking to spice up your quiet time bible time with the lord well guess what i might just have the right thing to help you there is nothing better than being able to spend quality and intimate time with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and in His Word. For many of us, this may look different from day to day. Check out my 20-piece digital quiet time Bible study bundle. It comes with six topical scripture writing plans to encourage and uplift you as well as to help you get into the Word of God. So if you're ready to dig deeper or simply ready to give your Bible study a boost, check out my 20-piece Quiet Time Bible Study Bundle and other digital Bible study resources at Jahira Print Shop. The link will be featured in the description box. And as always, I'd like to take the time out to say thank you to each and every one of you. I do hope and pray that you will be blessed. are listening to the Words of Encouragement podcast with yours truly, Arlena. Stay tuned. Okay, so welcome back. And if you are currently tuning in now for the first time, once again, the name and title of today's episode is Sins of the Father, The Curse of the Sword, The Children of King David, Part 1. And of course, this is a series which is, of course, entitled The Sins of the Father, The Curse of the Sword. And once again, this is episode number 139. So let's get into a little bit of 
some background information in regards to King David's children. Now, according to sources, King David had a total of 20 children. He had 19 sons and one daughter. Now, when David was at Hebron, these were the children that were born to him. And of course, they were six sons, starting with the first one, the eldest, whose name was Ammon. And his mother, his mother's name was Ahinoim. His second was Kilia. And of course, his mother was none other than Abigail, the widow of none other than Nabal the fool. His third oldest son was Absalom, and his mother was Maka. And of course, David had two children with Maka, Absalom being the third son, and he also had a daughter by the name of Tamar. And then after Absalom, David had Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith or Haggith. And then he had Shephatiah. Shephat, let me see, what's that? Sheph, Shephatiah, something to that effect. And his mother was Abital. And then last, Ithriam. And his mother was Eglah. So those were the six sons that were born to David while he was still in Hebron. And of course, their mothers were the wives that he took while he was still in Hebron. We also have the infant who he had with Bathsheba, who also died. We had Shimea, or they, some refer to him as Shemua, who um, is listed as probably the first surviving child of both David and Bathsheba together. And then you had Shobab, Nathan, and of course, none other than Solomon, who were all born to him in Jerusalem. So it appears that he, hmm, it looks like he had three children, between three to four children with Bathsheba. And then, of course, he had nine other sons who were born to him by other wives, um, whose names were Ebar, Elushua, Elpalet, Noga, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphalet. 
something to that effect. And one other, a named son, of course, the one that died, who died in infancy. And of course, the one daughter, which was Tamar. Now, according to the wives, it's listed as him having between seven to eight wives. But of course, out of all of those, whether they were seven or eight, you know, there are three that stand out. And of course, we have Abigail, the widow of Nabal, Michal, the daughter of Saul, King Saul, and of course, Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. So in this series, we are dealing with the sins of the father. In this case, the father was none other than King David. So we are dealing with David's sins that were passed down because of what he did with both Bathsheba as well as her husband Uriah. So within two. So in today's episode, we are going to be covering in depth more or less two of David's children. Of course, one will make an appearance, but a very brief appearance, and that particular one will be covered in part two. So yes. So first up is none other than Mr. Ammon. Ammon was the eldest son of King David. And of course his mother was Ahinoam. Who was one of David's first wives. Machal, the daughter of King Saul, was the first wife. But of course, they did not have any children. He was also one of the first of six sons out of seven children born to King David in Hebron. Because I also believe that Tamar probably was also born in Hebron. It doesn't say, you know, she's the only daughter of King David. Um, but I do believe that she was born in Hebron seeing the fact that both her and Absalom have the same mother. Of course, their mother's name was Maka. Now, David marrying multiple women, taking on at least seven or eight wives, of which 20 children were born to him in total. Now, this lifestyle really created a big mess, not only for David's life, but also for the lives of his children, as well as his multiple marriages. And David's multiple marriages violated God's instructions when it came to marriage. Now, God gave specific commands for the people when choosing a king. Now, he was not to be a foreigner. And God was also to choose who would be their king. And one of the commands 
where the king, the chosen king of Israel was also not to have or take on many wives for himself so that his heart would not be turned away from the Lord God. Now, these commands can be found in Deuteronomy 17 verses 14 to 17. And of course, I'm going to leave um, these scriptures or these scripture references in the description box, just in case you'd like to go and, you know, look it up for yourself. But either way, I am going to read what it says here. Um, once again, that is Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 to verse 17. And today I will be reading from the King James Version. Yes. And it reads, When thou art come unto the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall possess it, and shall dwell therein, and shall say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set over thee. So in other words, they were to look for one amongst them, not to go outside and look for a foreigner to become their king. It had to be within the nation of Israel. And then it reads, Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. Because remember, Israel was God's, not was, they still are, God's chosen people who were set apart for his kingdom, for his honor, and for his glory. So, of course, they were to be set apart and they were not to intermarry with other nations. So that was very important that when they were selecting a king, they had to select someone from within, I guess, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then verse 16 reads, But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. And then verse 17 reads, Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. So, of course, once again, that was Deuteronomy 17, reading from verse 14 to verses 17 in the King James Version. So, of course, we see some of the stipulations that were laid out there by none other than the Lord God Almighty himself, the Father, of when it came to setting a king over his people. Number one, you know, um, he was not to be a foreigner. He had to be chosen from amongst the people. In other words, from the nation of Israel. He was not to multiply horses to himself, neither gold nor silver. And of course, he was also not to multiply wives to himself because this could cause the king's heart to turn away from the Lord God. And of course, David did not obey 
God's word where that was concerned because he took six wives and he had a total of about seven or eight. So, yeah, he kind of messed up in that area right there. Now, according to 1 Samuel 25 verses 43, David probably took Ahinoam of Jezreel to be his wife around the same time as he took Abigail, the widow of Nabal, to be his wife, or probably shortly after. But either way, she was one of his first wives out of the six that he took while he was still in Hebron. Now, we really don't know too much about Ammon's mother, Ahinoam. However, she was a Jezreelite. And it appears that she lived a very quiet life away from the spotlight. Now, Ahinoam is listed as one of King David's wives that the Amalekites kidnapped in 1 Samuel 30. Okay, so let's move on to Ahinoam and David's son, Mr. Ammon. The fact that he was David's eldest son, that would have placed him in a position to be the successor to the throne after David's death. Now, outside of the story of Ammon and Tamar, we really do not know much about his growing up or his relationship with his father, King David, as we don't know the relationship with him and the rest of his children either. So let's just be truthful, Mel probably minus Solomon as far as their, you know, growing up. Now, it was probably difficult with David being on the run from Saul with six wives and seven children. Then when David finally became king of Israel, David probably did not have much time to be a husband to his then six wives and, of course, their children together. But although King David was a great king and one heck of a mighty warrior when it came to battle. He was not just a man of valor. He was also a skilled warrior, a faithful servant of God, a man after God's own heart, as God himself said. However, David was not a great father, especially when it came to disciplining his children, especially when they did wrong. Now, David just let his household go astray. You know, he was, he might have been a skilled warrior, shepherd, you know, musician at one point, and king. But he definitely was not a skilled father or husband. He definitely was not a skilled father when it came to his children. Because, like I said before, he refused to discipline them when they committed egregious acts. You know, had he disciplined his children, I do believe that they would have turned out a whole lot better. And a lot of things that happened amongst them could and probably would have been avoided. Now, I fully believe that King David probably felt guilty for, you know, what he himself had done with Bathsheba. So I guess he probably felt, you know, who was he to do anything but he was forgiven for his sin 
So because of the fact that he was forgiven, there should not have been any guilt. And he should have stood up as the king of Israel and also as their father and disciplined them as they needed to be disciplined. The Bible says, train up a child in the way it should go. You know, so he kind of really faltered in that area. He really did. You know, um, the Bible clearly tells us that God disciplines those whom he loves so that we can be partakers in his kingdom. And yes, of course, what David did was wrong. You know, it could never be right what he did with Bathsheba and neither could it ever be right what he did to Uriah, you know, killing Uriah and then taking his wife. It was wrong. However, like I said before, David did repent remorsefully when God sent the prophet Nathan to confront him. But even though he was forgiven of his wrong, it was not without consequences. And that's something that a lot of people fail to realize. And that's something I tend to like really notice back in the Caribbean. Yes, you know, when we repent, we are forgiven for our sins. That doesn't mean we have to go to hell for our sins unless we want to. That's why Jesus died in order to give us a chance to be able to repent so that we can be, you know, forgiven. We can be restored and, you know, we can be rejoined once again to God. But that doesn't mean that there won't be consequences, you know, for the things that we have done. But at least we'll have some grace and mercy. But most importantly, at least we still have the ability to have eternal life because of what Christ did on the cross. So, you know, that's another thing. Um, and one of the things that I notice with a lot of people back home, oh, it happened so-and-so time back because it happened maybe 1920. Okay, nice. It happened in 1920. But if that person has not repented, it doesn't matter when it happened. Now, when the person has repented, ask God to forgive them, accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, and God has forgiven them. At that point, it doesn't matter because the blood of Jesus has washed away those sins because the person has repented and has accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. It's just like if I sin and I don't ask God to forgive me, I don't care when it happened. At the end of this journey of mine called life, I can't tell God, well, you know, that happened back in 1972, 1973, but yet I haven't repented of it. I haven't accepted Christ. There's no heaven for me to gain. So even though David was forgiven for what he had done, because he truly was remorseful. And of course, Psalm 51 was birthed out of that. Still, there was going to be consequences, but the key was at least he would not die. So, you know, God is a merciful God. He truly is. And of course, during David's time, you know, it wasn't Jesus, you know, so of course it was done differently 
in the Old Testament back in those days. But, you know, God could have killed David. But God also knew David. And he knew that David was a man that was after his own heart. But, um, and he also knew too that David probably would repent once he was confronted of his, you know, his wrongdoing. And indeed he did. That's why Nathan the prophet was sent to him. Because if not, he probably would have been cut down because he had not repented up until that point. Maybe he didn't realize he had to, but either way, the Lord sent Nathan to him to refresh him and to show him his error and what he did wrong. But nevertheless, because of his true repentance, God spared his life. So yeah, so let's move on. Now, once again, let's go back to Ammon. Like I said before, we really don't know nothing too much about his mother. Aside from the fact that she was one of his first wives that he took while he was still in Hebron. And we also know she's the mother of his eldest child and eldest son, Ammon. Now, she may have had more children, but we really do not know since, of course, daughters were often left out of the genealogies. Ammon was known for his lustful, selfish, and wicked act that he committed towards his sister Tamar. We can clearly see the curse from the sins of David taking full effect in Ammon's life. The very same lustful spirit that came on King David when he saw Bathsheba taking a bath on the rooftop that sinfully lustful day. We are now seeing this very same spirit or curse operating in David's older son as he can be seen lusting after his beautiful half-sister Tamar who was still single and very much still a virgin. Ammon became infatuated with Tamar to the point that he became lovesick. He felt sick. In other words, yeah, he, he, he just couldn't help himself. Now, who in their right mind would find themselves lusting over their sister unless they are possessed or of Satan? And Ammon, along with his cousin, Jonadab, who the Bible refers to as his friend. And of course, Jonadab was a son of Shimea, who was David's brother. Is it me? Or was something wrong? <laughs> was something extremely wrong with these nephews of David? I mean, and let's not forget his sons, who were also a piece of work. But it seemed like something was wrong. With these nephews of David's. I mean, look at Joab, his brother Abishai, and and um, what was the other one? I can't even remember what the second uh, Aphetol. I think no, that's not Aphetol. It wasn't Aphetol. I forgot what the other um brother was named. But I mean, look at David's nephews. I think maybe the best of them was Amasa, and of course, who killed him? His cousin Joab. Once again, David's nephew. So here we have another one of David's nephews, David's brother's sons. 
Doesn't surprise me because David's brothers were a piece of work. They didn't even like David. So you know what? I'm not too surprised. It seemed like the nephews of David that were his sister's sons were far better. So you see, there was a difference. But anyway, let's get back to good old Jonadab. And of course, Ammon. The Bible tells us that Jonadab was a very crafty man. So you know exactly who he belonged to spiritually. Of course, none other than Satan. Jonadab was clearly one of his sons. And so was Ammon. Ammon might have been the first son of King David. However, Ammon definitely did not inherit the heart that his father had from the Lord God. He definitely did not have a heart that was after God's own. And of course, Ammon and his friend slash cousin were both men after their own hearts. And I can definitely see the relationship spiritually and genealogic, genealogically, excuse me, to Joab. They were closely related. They all had the same spirit. And they all had probably the same father. Now, there Ammon was with his weight fading away because he was lovesick over his sister Tamar. And Jonadab asked him, why he was becoming so thin each day? He was just, like you said back home, he just, just getting marked by. He just magging away like you said back home. He's just shrinking. And clearly, he was bothered. So Jonadab, of course, wanted to know exactly what's going on with this. What's going on with Ammon? He wanted to know what was ailing him. And, you know, Ammon's response to his friend slash cousin and second Samuel 13 verses four reads. And he said unto him, why art thou being the king's son lean from day to day? He said, wilt thou not tell me? And Ammon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. But guess what? She was also his sister, but she was his half sister. Of course, He's referring to her as Absalom's sister because they not just shared the same father as he also did share the same father, which was King David, but also Tamar and Absalom shared the same mother. Both Absalom and Tamar were the children of both King David and Maka. Now listen to what Jonadab says to him here in verse 5. That's why you got to be careful with your friends. This is what he says. And this is what it says. It says, Lay thee down on thy bed, and make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat and dress the meat in my sight that I may see it and eat it at her hand. Listen, with such wonderful friends as Jenadab, who needs enemies? 
listening to him and people like him who have that same type of spirit as Jonadab will only lead you to commit sin. And without repentance and salvation, it can also cause one to be destined for hell with your further rewards being the lake of fire. Of course, if you do not repent. Listening to such people like this can cause you to, you know, do something that maybe you probably would not have done had, you know, not listened to such wicked and evil counsel of these particular individuals who were sent by Satan. See, if Ammon probably did not listen to Jonadab, he would have never taken action on what he did. But unfortunately, he did listen to Jonadab. And one thing that we must always remember, that there are consequences, once again, to our actions. Good or bad, there are consequences to our actions. And we must also realize that our actions may not only cause problems for us, but also, you know, for those who might end up on the receiving end. So that's something that we must always think about, especially as, you know, as children of the living God. Now, Ammon defiled his sister Tamar by forcing himself upon her. And then, of course, he then, you know, he then left her there to deal with this evil, wicked act that he did with the long-lasting and eternal effects of his wicked actions towards her. Now, after Ammon had eaten or tasted the forbidden fruit of lust and infatuation, in the process leaving an innocent young woman defiled and damaged in the path of his sinfulness and his wickedness. Now, because of Ammon's evil towards his sister, you know, Tamar was forced to carry the shame and the burden of what had been done to her alone without any justice from her father, David. The Bible did tell us that David did get angry, but apart from that, he didn't do one thing. He didn't even comfort his daughter. And neither did he discipline his wayward son. That is until God intervened. Or I guess justice was served. Wasn't served in the right way, but it was served. Now, Ammon not only violated his sister, he also disgraced her. And after he got what he wanted or thought that, you know, was what he wanted, because clearly once he committed the act, the spirit left him. So at that point, that lust turned into hate. Mm -hmm. His lust turned into hate. And once he had satisfied his lustful desires and, of course, his flesh, he saw no more use or need for her. And we see that going on today in the world amongst many types of relationships where men use women, women use men. I mean, and they think nothing of it. But later on, there are consequences at some point in time, you know. But that don't mean you got to end up in hell unless you want to. You can repent. But remember still, there will always be consequences. Careful of the doors that we open. Because yeah, you can open these doors up to our generations. 
so yeah. So Ammon defiled Tamar by raping her and then throwing her out like she was a piece of trash while leaving her to deal and face the consequences of his evil actions all by herself. Now, this is what the Bible says. It says here, when he was about to rape her, she cried out to him and said, Nay, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not thou this folly, and I whither shall I cause my shame to go? And as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, speak unto the king, for he will not withhold me from thee. Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her, and he lay with her. But she answered him. So that was the King James Version, so I'm going to read it in the New King James Version. This is what it says. No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of those fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Now, because Tamar was, I guess, a half-sister, because that's how they did things back in them days, they could be, you know, he could, Ammon could have asked David, for his sister's hand in marriage. And for those who may not know, um, this scenario actually is Abraham and Sarah. Not only were their husbands and wives, they were also half sister and half brother. If I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly, Abraham and Sarah had the same father, but they had different mothers. But yeah, but they were husband and wife. And of course, this is the lineage. So he could have asked for her hand in marriage rather than just, you know, taking her womanhood that, the way he did. And he refused. And being stronger than her, he, he just took, you know, he just took it from her. And of course, when he was finished with his evil deed, the Bible tells us in verse 15 that he hated her exceedingly so he went from being lovesick over this girl and of course now his good old pal Jonadab tells him what to do he does it and he goes from being lovesick for this for his sister to now exceedingly hating her so clearly you see that's a spirit it went from one to the other and it definitely is not a spirit of the lord it, he, you know, he hated her so much that his hatred 
was far greater than the lust which he had for her. Hmm. And Ammon said to her, Arise and go. He said, Arise, be gone. And when he was done, he told her to get out. The nerve of him, eh? If you have not seen it before, as I was, you know, showing some of the stuff here, this clearly shows us how cold and wicked Ammon was. He was nothing like his father. He was nothing like his father, King David. You know, David owned up to his responsibility when he was confronted. Now, sending her away after he had violated her in the worst manner, you know, by taking her, of course, against her will, raping her. Listen to what she says to him in verse 16. She says, no, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her, the Bible says. So him throwing her out and sending her away was far worse than raping her. And he did not even care. He was cold hearted and he refused to even listen to anything that she had to say. You know, he did not even want to look at her. He didn't even want to look at her. The very same face that he had been lusting over until he became lovesick. Now he didn't even want to see it. Like we said back home, he didn't want to see her face. Mm -hmm. His lust was now satisfied. Of course, at her expense. While his lust had also now been turned to hate. So clearly it was a spirit of lust that had come upon him. And after he had completed his satanic assignment of destroying his sister's life, of course, which was opened up and caused by the curse of what David had done with Uriah's wife Bathsheba. Now we see that the spirit of lust had departed from him after, you know, it had accomplished its goal. And now we see the spirit of hatred had taken over in its place instead. And unbeknownst to Ammon, the enemy was slowly marking him for death. At that point, and because Ammon didn't make or try to make something out of his wrong, by at least maybe taking her to be his wife at that point, because at this point he had violated her, and, you know, he it's like he didn't care. So he left him, he left himself open. He destroyed her life, but he also left himself wide open. And of course, the enemy at that point definitely had the authority to touch David's children, especially the sons of those who did not belong to the Lord. You see, Tamar was an innocent victim who was defiled. Her only guilt was the fact that David was her father. And of course, she was being affected by the sins of the father or slash fathers. And because of her relationship to David, 
she was affected by what her father had done with Bathsheba. Just as Ammon was also affected by what David had done to Uriah the Hittite, who was the husband of Bathsheba. And of course, as a result of David's transgression, his punishment, even though like, remember like what I said in the beginning, you know, he repented and God gave him, but God also told him that there would be consequences and the consequences were the sword would never depart from his house. And that sword was about to strike Ammon and his wicked heart, unbeknownst to him. You see, Uriah died by the sword at David's commands because he had him placed in the front in order for him to be killed so he could take Bathsheba. So now David's son was about to suffer the same fate. The sword was about to demolish him, not just permanently, but possibly even eternally. And of course, Tamar became defiled because her father, King David, had defiled Bathsheba by taking her when she clearly had a husband while committing adultery with her. And that's why when she became pregnant with their child, the child died because it was born into adultery or out of adultery. Now, Tamar's defilement was a representation of what David did to Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, by taking her. Just how David took Uriah's wife without any consent, and he knew he was not supposed to take her because she was married. The same way, it opened the curse for his son to take his daughter. The same way he took Bathsheba from Uriah. So the same way he defiled Bathsheba is the same way from the curse from what he had done allowed Ammon to defile his daughter who truthfully was innocent. Her only crime out of everything was the fact that she was related to David. And as I was doing my research on something, you know, I never really thought about it. But um, one source said that in reality, Bathsheba might have been innocent, you know, because, you know, when David sent for her, probably she didn't know why he was sending for her and he just took her and maybe like Ammon, he was. The king, he was more powerful, so she couldn't, I guess, I don't know. Um, she couldn't probably say no, I don't know, you know. Maybe she feared for her life, I don't know. You know, only God in heaven knows. But the same thing that happened between Ammon and Tamar is kind of like a, what's the right word am I am I looking for? It's like. It's kind of like full circle of what happened between David and Bathsheba. 
I guess it's kind of like the modern day version, you know, because David started lusting after Bathsheba when he saw her bathing on the rooftop. And here we have Ammon who was lusting after his sister and the same way his father David took Bathsheba being Uriah's wife, Ammon took his sister mm -hmm, and violated her as well. The Bible tells us that, you know, when Absalom saw his sister, Tamar, that immediately he knew that she had been defiled by their brother, Ammon. And listen to what Absalom says to his sister, Tamar, in verse 20. And it reads, And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Ammon your brother been with you but now hold your peace my sister he is your brother do not take this thing to heart so Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house now Absalom was a piece of work I mean, not up until this point, but after this, oh boy, and we'll be covering him in the second part of this series entitled The Sins of the Father, The Curse of the Sword, The Children of King David. Out of this whole scenario, the only person that we see come to her aid for comfort or anything is her brother Absalom. We didn't see King David and we sure didn't see Mr. Ammon because we all knew what he did to her. He raped her then he threw her away. Threw her out and threw her away. And of course David was angry the Bible tells us but he didn't do anything. So the only person that really came to her side to comfort her and look out for her was none other than her brother, Absalom. And I do believe this is some of the reasons why, at least probably some of the beginning of the reasons why David and Absalom, or Absalom had a problem with King David. But we'll cover all of that in chapter, in part two. Absalom was the only one who really came to her side or who was concerned about her. And of course, he comforted her. And of course, he took her into his home. Her rapist, he did not even care. He had not even one ounce of remorse. And neither did he comfort her. But at least when King David was confronted by God through the prophet Nathan, David felt remorse and he repented of his sins. You understand? But at the same time, neither did we see her father, King David, comfort her or say anything to her. He didn't comfort her. He didn't give no justice. He didn't do anything. And the Bible tells us, you know, that her brother Absalom took her into his home. And she remained desolate, according to um, the history out there, that she remained desolate 
all the days of her life in his home. This lady's life was destroyed. Still, after everything, Bathsheba still ended up with David. They had children. One of um, their children, who happened to be King Solomon, was appointed king. But David's daughter was the one to pay the heaviest price. And that was so sad. And that was all because of the door that King David opened up when he took Uriah's wife, as well as when he killed her husband. And um, not only did she remain for the rest of her life desolate in her brother's house, she never had any children and she never married. Now, I wanted to get a much better breakdown of the word desolate. I mean, I know what I know that it means empty, but I really wanted to know what this definition meant biblically and also in relation to Tamar's circumstances. Now, according to Strong's, desolate, which is H8076, Samen, or pronounced Shamim, means devastated and deserted. It is mentioned twice, of course, in the KJV, and according to Strong's definition, it means ruined. So her life was completely ruined. Because, you know, back in those days in Israel, if you were not a virgin, you know, no man was going to marry. It's not like today, you know. Um, but, you know, back then in Israel in those times, you know, if you were, you know, violated, even if it wasn't your fault, because it, it was not her fault. But it was, you know, she was completely, you know, destroyed and in in. in and ruined, when I say ruined, um, as far as ever, you know, being married or having, you know, children because he violated her. But that didn't mean she died. She still lived on. But, you know, she lived, um, I guess you could say as an old settler. That's, that's what the folk like to say when you ain't been married. You know, there's different reasons why people um, have not married. It's not maybe because they didn't want to or something was wrong with them. Sometimes things happen, and this is a, a a a perfect example, case in point. You know, she didn't do anything. Her only crime was the fact that she was the daughter of King David. And, of course, when David opened that door, it caused those consequences to fall on him, but mostly his children is who suffered the price of what he did. Yeah. Now, premarital sex was not something that was practiced back in those days, especially in Israel. Now, maybe the other pagan nations, yeah, they just probably did what they wanted, but we're talking about Israel here right now. Um, you know, when a man took a wife, she was supposed to be a virgin. You know, this brings to mind two extremely important biblical stories for me. And of course, the first one that comes to mind is the story of Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. Now, according to the genealogy, we only have David as having one daughter and 19 sons. 
Now, we do not know if he had other daughters, especially, you know, since oftentimes the girls were not mentioned. It was mostly the boys, the men or the boys. However, Tamar is mentioned in David's genealogy as being the only daughter. And I believe she probably um, is mentioned also because it's her story, you know, that we see and we see what happened to her. So maybe that's why she is mentioned as part of the genealogy. Only God in heaven knows. I don't know. But either way, you know, we do not know. But as I was doing the research, um, you know, it, it, in a lot of sources said that oftentimes in the genealogy, the girls were not listed. It was mostly the boys. Now, amongst Jacob's genealogy, his daughter is listed. And once again, we know what happened to her as well. Um, Jacob's daughter, Dinah, um, was also violated when Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Hivite, took her and he laid with her. And he also violated or slashed, you know, defiled her. The only difference here was that the prince truly was in love with her. And he also wanted to marry her. Only thing he put the, the cart before the horse. And, you know, um, I guess he couldn't wait. But he couldn't wait. And, you know, he couldn't handle, I guess, the no sex before marriage. But unlike Ammon, Shechem went wrong, of course, by lying with her before marriage. And secondly, Dinah uh, also was part of God's chosen people. And they were set apart and they were not to intermarry with other nations. So, you know, to have him laying with her and then he also was not married to her. And she's not, he was not part of, you know, um, the nation of Israel. Uh, that, 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 that was really standing on business. Like they say today. Now, maybe had he been like Ruth, Mr. Shechem, where he probably left his gods and his nation and accepted the God of Israel as his God, then maybe he would have been able to marry her. But the Bible specifically tells us that they were not to give their sons to these foreign women in the same way they were not to give their daughters to these foreign men from these other pagan nations. But then who knows if maybe they converted in like Ruth Maybe it could have been the same way. I don't know, but he didn't. He took, you know, he just took it before he even proposed. And he also violated Dinah. All Shechem had to do was, you know, just ask her father Jacob for her hand in marriage. Where he, of course, you know, um, instead of just defiling her. But, you know, hopefully at that point, he would have learned, hopefully, how things were done in Israel and that they were a chosen people and set apart by God. And that, yeah, that was not the way that Israel or, you know, God did things and neither did Israel if that was the way that they did it in his nation. Now, once Dinah's brothers, the sons of Jacob, learned that their sister had been defiled, they didn't ask no questions. They just, just like the slang out there is today, they stood on business. And unfortunately, it was not God's business. 
they stood on their own business by taking revenge. And if you know the story, you know what exactly Jacob's sons did. And if you don't know the story, you can find it and you can read it in Genesis 34. Now, of course, the next story is about that also comes to, comes to mind in regards to, um, you know, being violated, even though she was not violated. Um, but I'm just kind of trying to show you a picture of how it was for the women back then if you were not, you know, a virgin at the time of, you know, when, you know, you have to be a virgin. The next story that comes to mind is about none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and of course, his holy conception. Now, when the father chose the Virgin Mary to carry and give birth to his son, Jesus Christ, of course, as if you know the story, you know, it did not go over well with her husband, Joseph, who, of course, privately, he wanted to put her away because... Like we said back home, um, she, she, she was in condition, you know, she, you know, because of her condition. So thank God for intervening by, of course, sending his angel to tell Joseph not to put her away. Now, this story can be found in Matthew 18. I'm sorry, Matthew 1, starting from verse 18 to 25. And of course, the genealogy of Jesus Christ can also be found in Matthew 1. And if you have not yet read the story and you would like to read it, you can also take some time and just go ahead and read the entire Matthew 1. Now let's get back to Tamar and Mr. Ammon. When Absalom found out that his brother had done this to their sister, or like Ammon said, his sister. The Bible tells us that Absalom neither spoke good nor bad to Ammon. Like we would say back home in the Caribbean, he never said one word to him, neither good nor bad. In other words, he did not say anything to his brother. He played dumb. However, deep down inside, Absalom hated his brother because of what he had done to his sister. And of course, Ammon violated Tamar in the worst form, not just by raping her, but also by discarding her, which caused her to be desolate, caused her to be devastated and her life like, um, like completely ruined as far as her chances of being a wife or a mother. David also refused to take any course of action or discipline against Ammon for what he had done. And I definitely believe that this definitely made things worse. Not just for Tamar, but also for both Ammon as well as Absalom. David should have taken some course of action like I said before, not just as the king of Israel, because that's what you're supposed to do as the king. And much more even so as their father. And because he refused to do so, 
it was left in the hands of the Avenger to do whatever he chose to do. Now we can clearly see how both brothers felt regarding this situation. Of course, Ammon did not care or he had no sort of remorse or responsibility for what he had done. And then, of course, we have Absalom, clearly, who was quietly seething, about to attack at some point. And, of course, there we have poor Tamar, who was left without any type of comfort beside that, of course, from her brother, uh, or recourse or justice from her father, you know, who didn't even so much as comfort her or even discipline Ammon. Now, the wheels of vengeance did not happen immediately. But after two years, Absalom decided to make his move of revenge against his brother for violating his sister Tamar. And if you are familiar with the story of Ammon, the first son of David, then you know he ended up being cut down by the sword. Once again, sins of the father at the hands of his brother, Absalom, for his egregious act of defilement upon his sister, Tamar. And of course, this would make Ammon being the second of David's children to die because of what he did with Bathsheba and what he did to her husband, Uriah. Ammon, of course was also the third of David's children, or the second probably, well the third, yeah, of David's children who suffered because of the curse of David's involvement of adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, Uriah. And here we can clearly see the consequences of the curse that was opened up over David's house because of his actions. Now, Ammon allowed himself to walk right into the trap of the enemy, of course, by listening to his cousin, Jonadab. And guess who, who the Lord used to take back the news to the king about his son, Ammon's death? Of course, none other than Ammon's good old friend slash cousin and co-conspirator, Mr. Jonadab, the nephew of David. This was the very same person who had encouraged him to take his sister. And here now was this very same person. Now that Ammon was dead. And of course, Jonadab was very much still alive. And not only was he still alive, he was the very same person to take the message of Ammon's faith back to his father, King David, and of course, Jonadab's uncle. And he was also a witness to his slash friend slash cousin's death and the bearer of bad news that was delivered to King David that day on the fate of his first son, Ammon. Now, I don't see anything in the Bible where it tells us that Ammon ever had a change of heart about his actions on that day. I, I, I don't see anything. I've never seen it. 
And neither can there be found anything else that tells us that he ever repented of his actions or that he was ever disciplined, which I doubt. And after the incident, of course, with Tamar, we no longer ever see, hear, or read anything about Tamar, the daughter of David and the sister of Absalom. Now, according to the Jewish women's archives, Tamar remained muted. In other words, she, I guess she, 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 she never spoke again. Kind of reminds me a little bit about Maya Angelou when, um, I think she was also raped. I can't remember the story and she just stopped talking. According to the Jewish women's archives, Tamar remained muted and desolate in Absalom's house for the rest of her life. So this young lady's life was completely destroyed. You know, she neither married nor had any children. And the story of Ammon and Tamar is what one would truly call household wickedness. Now, this would definitely not be the end of the curse of the sword that was opened up over David's house because of his actions of adultery and murder. Now, for more, you are going to have to stay tuned and come back for part two of this series as we continue to take a look at how the curse of the sword affected the children of David. And of course, in part two, we will be looking at another one of David's children who this curse very much also affected. Now, what can we learn from the story of Ammon and Tamar? Even though this story is very heartbreaking, we see devastation, we see wickedness, you know, we, we see a lot of things going on, injustice, we see um, revenge, um, you know, or, you know, self-avengeance, more or less. There is a lot that we can learn from the story of Tamar and Ammon. Now, first up, be careful how we treat people. Do not violate others. Do not take other people's property. In David's case, he took someone else's wife. And then he had her husband killed. And then, of course, she was pregnant. Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, especially when wrong is being done to them or has been done to them. And that's something that David should have done, not just as the king of Israel, but also as her father, as well as Ammon's father. So Absalom, in a way, spoke up for her, but not in the way that God would have intended for him to do it. And because King David, their father, did not take any justice or any type of recourse, he didn't even console his daughter, Absalom felt the need, well, you know what? I need to take justice into my own hand. That's why it's very important, especially if we call ourselves children of the living God through Christ Jesus, that when we see wrong, we are not to side with wrong. We are not to remain silent. We are to speak up and say something because 
it can save a life. It can it can save a life. And it could have probably saved Ammon's life. He could have probably been disciplined, maybe even restored, and he probably could have even married Tamar. And she would have she wouldn't have been left desolate and you know, devastated and broken for the rest of her life. Next, discipline is very important. Discipline our children, especially when they have done something wrong. Okay? I know if they're grown, you can't put them over your knee, but you got to be able to say something. You know, got to be able to say something, especially when they're wrong. And in this case, it wasn't just any old type of wrong. This was rape. This was a woman's life who was destroyed, not just for a period of time, but all the days of her life. She was ruined. She was not able to marry or have children because of what was done to her. Next, do not take advice from a scoundrel or ungodly or unsaved people. Someone who can and will lead you astray because in the end, you are are going to be the one and the only one who will pay the ultimate price. Of course, if you do not repent. And in that case, it wasn't Jonadab that paid the price. He encouraged him on what to do. But the person that paid the ultimate price was Ammon himself. Because he allowed himself to be talked into what he should not have done. And even though he did it, there was still a way out. And even that he didn't take. Next, if for any reason you have wronged or violated someone, we have a way out today. They had a way out also, but our way is different. You know, we, we, we got an even better way today. Turn to God, confess our sin, repent, and ask God to forgive us. And if, you know, someone hasn't received crisis yet, that's now a good time to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life as your personal Lord and Savior. You know, there is no sin that is too big that the blood of Jesus is not equipped to wash away. And that's why he died. He died for our sins so that we can be forgiven and that we also can receive the gift of salvation freely that we have the ability to be restored back to the Father and also to receive eternal life at the end of this journey. Next, when we sin, not only do we open demonic doors by allowing curses to be enforced in our very own lives, but also in the lives of our children, our grandchildren up to the fourth generation. And that is if someone along that bloodline recognizes that it is a curse and of course begins to break it through the blood in the name of Jesus Christ. However, one must be saved. You must be saved first and foremost. And you also must know what to do. And many churches out there do not teach these things. But they are real and they're extremely crucial. And then next, if we do not repent of our sins, be it big or small, 
we will be cut off eternally from the Father. Meaning, eternally condemned to the lake of fire when that time comes. Next, if we have confessed our sin or sins and we have repented and God, you know, God is able to forgive us. And he's also able to restore us because he did forgive David and he restored David. However, that does not mean that there will not be consequences. There will be. But that does not mean that we or our generations have to be eternally condemned to death because of the sins of the Father. Unless that is what we or they choose. In other words, they reject Christ. They refuse to repent. Now, the way out of eternal condemnation is salvation. That, of course, comes in the form and through none other than Jesus Christ. You know, God can pick us up. He can clean us up and restore us and use us just like he did with King David and so many others who have repented. And once again, the choice is ours. Next, be careful what we do in this life and how we treat others. Because not only will there be a price to pay, like we say back home, hell to pay. We can truly and deeply affect others to a point of no return. As well as open deep and serious issues and problems for our generations to come. And that's what's sad. Because, you know, Tamar suffered for something she didn't even do. And that's sad. It was David that did it. But, of course, the sin had to be atoned for somewhere. There's consequences. He was forgiven, so it bypassed him. But he paid in a different way. Because he had no peace in his house. But the end result of the sword affected his children. Very greatly. You know, and, you know, we must be wise. You know, um, if it's wrong, walk away from it. Do not allow the devil and his children to entice neither you or I into doing what is wrong. Where both you and I end up missing the way because at the end is us, we going to pay. He already condemned. He just trying to get as much people as he can get to go with him when the time comes. His course can never be altered again. But we still have the ability, if we have not yet repented and accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we have that ability to do so. But he don't have that ability. He's already condemned. There's no going back where he is concerned. So we have to be careful. You know, listening to people because you're listening to the wrong people, especially if you're children of Satan, you know, it, it's, it's never going to turn out good. And of course, who, like we said back home, you're going to get the bitter end of the stick. Mm-hmm. Like I said, if it's wrong, walk away from it. Do not allow the devil and his children to entice you into doing anything that is not of God. Because you know what? You don't want to miss the way. I know I don't want to miss the way. 
And quite frankly, it is not worth it. Hell is real and it's, it is full of torment. And the lake of fire is real hot. That fire don't quench. And that's the end result of everything. And despite what the late Carlton Pearson thought and taught, there is a hell. And that's just the first stop. And after that is judgment, white throne judgment. And then the final destination for those whose names are not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life is the lake of fire. Listen, I don't know where you live. Have you ever had a hot summer? <laughs> Listen, ain't cute. But at least I can run inside or somewhere and get some AC. But in the lake of fire, there ain't no AC. So, yeah. And let us remember that there is no gospel of inclusion when it comes to the kingdom of God. That is a gospel that is straight out of the pit of hell. The only gospel of inclusion that there is will be where if you or I leave this world without Christ or without repenting, then we certainly will be included into the list of people bound for eternal destruction, which of course is the lake of fire. Remember, there is only one way. There is no other way. One way, one life, one light, and one gospel. And it is the gospel or the doctrine slash of none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Do not be fooled. So we have finally arrived at the end of this episode and the first part of this series entitled Sins of the Father, the Curse of the Sword, the Children of King David. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to be able to delve into your word to discover these stories as a teaching tool on how we ought to walk before you on this road of redemption that leads to salvation and eternal life through Christ Jesus, who died for our sins. In the precious and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So now we have arrived at the quote of the episode. And the quote of this particular episode is true justice cannot exist without mercy and what is done in private will be shouted from the rooftop like we say back home nothing in the dark whatever's in the dark we say back home whatever in the dark will come out in the light that's how they would say it but you know, once again, like it says, true justice cannot exist without mercy. So it's kind of like two quotes. And what is done in private will be shouted from the rooftop. So we must repent. And of course, both of those quotes 
were by none other than Kate Danahy. Okay, so now we have finally arrived at the end of this episode, as well as the end of this first part of the series entitled Sins of the Father, The Curse of the Sword, The Children of King David. I hope that you were able to get something out of the episode. And once again, I'd like to take this time out to say thank you to each and every one of you for joining me on another episode of the Words of Encouragement podcast. I pray that this episode, this podcast, or this series has and will be a blessing to you. If this episode, this podcast, or this series has been a blessing to you, please feel free to share it with others. Please feel free to subscribe to the Words of Encouragement podcast on iTunes.com, Spreaker.com, Podomatic.com, and everywhere that podcast can be heard. You can also please feel free to check out my other podcast, which is entitled The Nuggets, of Thankfulness Podcast, which is a devotional audio podcast featured on Spreaker.com, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere that podcast can be heard. I look forward to being with you on another episode of the Words of Encouragement Podcast. Remember, as long as there is life, it is never too late to accept Christ. Be blessed. See you next.